0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Hi again, everybody, and uh, welcome to uh, Believe in Sports Business, Sports Media, along with a uh, fine sports writer for the Sports Business Journal and L.A. Uh, Business Journal, Tom Hoforth. I am Fred Wallen. Throughout the show, please email us, sportsfred at aol.com, sportsfred at aol.com, and obviously Corona the major, major story. But let's start with uh, something else, Tom. The L.A. Times um, doing a uh, sort of a playoff. Uh, who might be the most epic uh, sports uh, athlete uh, in the history, I guess, of Southern California? Tom Hofarth, I have my thoughts. I uh, love your thoughts. And again, I, I think it's not going to be somebody like Elgin Baylor, even though to me, he's the greatest player I've ever seen. It's going to be somebody of the modern era. But who do you think, uh, the epic sport, athlete of all, all time here in Southern California.
0: Well, I was trying to figure out how they position this because these kind of things are interesting considering, you know, it's almost like when you vote for the MVP, is he the, really the most valuable player or is he having the best year or something? So I think I'm looking on the website to see how they're couching it. I think it was the most iconic person in LA sports or. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, that's what it was, yes.
0: Yeah, so it was, and then to me. I mean, it's it's only it's between Vince Scully or Jackie Robinson, just because of their impact and their presence in Los Angeles for such a long time. I, I would I thought about Magic Johnson, um, I thought about Jerry West, but I, I, it's it's almost it's almost hard to not think of Jackie Robinson, especially maybe just because it's Jackie Robinson Day was yesterday, and that's kind of on my radar, but. Um, I'm usually not. I usually don't get sucked into these sort of things because you know I understand it's it's something to do and it's it's, a lot, it's fun to think about and and you just don't know who's voting and how the thing's going to get weighted and everything. But um, it, but but for this one, I've always thought it's interesting how an iconic person can be in Los Angeles and not have been an athlete, like like Chick Hearn or or or, or Vin Scully, and. Maybe that says more about Hollywood and and you know what we see as sports and entertainment. So, but for for pure athletic ability, I I don't I don't. It's hard for me to pick anybody but Jackie Robinson. What, and so, who would you pick then?
1: See, I was going to pick either Vince Scully or Magic Johnson because Jackie never played here. I true. Was, uh, well, like...
0: UCLA in Pasadena. That that was what I was giving him oh, credit true. for that.
1: Oh, true. But uh, but I don't think the average person would know that if they're actually voting. That's what I'm saying. I think the average person would only know him from the Brooklyn Dodger and the first uh, African-American of the modern era in baseball. So I eliminate Jackie from that aspect. But Magic, uh, because of everything he did on the court, and, of course, the AIDS thing and – Uh, I know I was strong as far as that was concerned one way, uh, way back. And he's
0: such a huge presence in his after career. I mean, just with the city, I I think he could run for mayor and easily win at some point. I am surprised (laughs) he hasn't, but just with, with team ownership, with this connection as the Laker president, you know, and then now the Dodger part owner and now the Sparks. And I mean, the the guys he's, he's, he's made such an impact. I mean, and then from his position on luring people like LeBron James to come to LA. So, it's, it, would be, it would be a devastating um, loss if, if Magic were not part of L.A. just because of what he's meant to dist- the community, much like Kobe Bryant, who's, who's, who was in that respect when he was alive as well. And I think Kobe was sort of ramping up to that sort of status as he was doing with youth sports and especially women's sports. So it's, it's an interesting thing to frame it. But um, as far as a pure athlete, though, if we were to eliminate Scully and eliminate Chick and those guys – yeah, magic I think is easily the best. But Vin and Chick, Chick especially, just created a sport in an area that didn't have it, especially with basketball. So in some ways, I think Chick, Chick's job was almost tougher than what Vin did. Um,
1: if I told you he died in 203, would you say yeah. it can't be that long ago?
0: Oh, it, it seems like yesterday. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. And I miss, you know, it's funny to think of how many people have come after him. And Stu is still there. Stu Lance is still there. And Stu Lance still keeps, uh, what does he have of Chick Hearn's in his wallet? He showed me once. Maybe, oh, his press pass. He has Chick Hearn's press pass in his wallet still. So it just keeps him with him. That was such a, a neat thing to see. And, and um, you know, that you never replace Chick. You just sort of try to carry the torch going forward and it. But when we can say Chick and Vin and know who they are and smile and know what they've meant to our lives over the year, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible that they're both have been such huge influences, you know, in, in, in creating how we've enjoyed sports. And I guess that's really the touchstone to this is if, how did you get involved in sports? What got you involved? And usually when you were seven or eight years old, that was like the most important year of your life when you created your heroes and your sports heroes. And if you can still hear Chick Kerner, you can still hear Vin Scully on your transistor radio telling you about a Laker game or a Dodger game, I think that has such a huge impact that they were great not salesmen, but just promoters of the game and, and explainers of the game and teachers of the game that anybody who played for the team was gonna sound, you know, great, but it was always their constant their constant being and their constant uh, uh, comfort when you needed somebody like that. And it, and the interesting part was the seasons never really overlap, so we got them like year-round. It's either one or the other. So it, 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 it's a nice thing to think about in these kind of times, and, and it's still nice that Vin is still with us and we can still shoot him an email or something and give him a heads-up about some things. And, and, you know, he's putting out video that when the season started late, and he's trying to comfort us. And it's he's got a lot on his plate with his family and his wife's health and everything too, but it's, it's, it's just – it is a nice thing to sort of think about.
1: You mentioned Vince Scully, and uh, of course, on uh, two weeks ago we did the show right here on Sports Biz Sports Media on Believe. Uh, uh, was the day that uh, we taped it. it? Was the day that or the day before we found out on April Fools that uh, uh, <laughs> it was for real that the Dodgers were coming to Directv? And I'm just wondering. If DirecTV and Spectrum realized that this virus was going to be like this, so, so they would actually never have to show us a Dodger game, do you think that's possible?
0: Absolutely, I think it's possible because this is sort of a free—it's sort of a free free shot um, at showing the channel and adding the. To me, it's, which is ridiculous, that anybody has to pay the full price for these channels right now because of, you know, we're not seeing games. But it's like car insurance, I guess. You know, you pay a full price, and then you never drive your car for the last few months. But you still want to have it, and you still need it. But you know, I, it, it, it's, a, it's a great inroad for Sportsnet LA and Direct TV to sort of make this connection, like get people used to watching it, and then they might not even know that you know what it's costing them on, on their monthly statement because some people don't even look at their monthly statement; they just get the bill and automatically gets paid. But if you look at it and see how it breaks down. It's, it's not cheap considering everything else that you think of as what's essential in your life right now. And it's not cheap but on top of the fact that there aren't any live games. That said, you get to see some really cool old games that are kind of nice to relive again uh, been describing a lot of the games, you know, pre-2016, and those are really neat to watch and, and relive. And um, But, it, you know, I was kind of surprised, like we were talking to him, surprised that the Pac-12 network has not – got a deal done with with direct tv as well because that would make to me like the the second piece of this that hasn't fallen yet
1: talking to tom hofarth i'm fred wallen right here on believe sports business sports media and last week we discussed the fact that uh, two construction workers at the sofi uh, stadium uh, were tested positive for the virus and yet the uh, construction continues Uh, any comments i mean The Rams haven't spoken up. The Chargers haven't spoken up. City of Los Angeles is not going to allow it, but this is Inglewood. Uh, Supervisors of the county should speak up. Uh, The governor should speak up. Somebody's got to speak up because these people are working, putting other people at risk. Uh, Tom, we talked about this last week, but nobody has stopped it. What's going on?
0: You know, it was funny, too, because that Saturday, my friend Jim Thompson, who does um, illustrations for the L.A. Times sports section, and they put them together with the reader's email, reader's mail, and he did a pretty serious one. I don't know if you remember what he did, but it had to do with, um, uh, you know, a big a big crane, like cleaning up the site, and it was basically taking two people and kind of putting them in the trash can, basically saying, all right, yeah, we're cleaning up, we're, we're getting this thing ready. They were just looked at as collateral damage, and Jim even said, you know, sometimes I'm not you know, I can't be funny when I'm doing this. I got to be sort of uh, provocative with with what I'm trying to say here, and it, to him, that was what it meant. And um, I, I I was trying to find a story that I was reading today that had to do with the fact that um, it was, it was from oh, it was from Tom Boswell of the Washington Post. He did a piece today about how, you know, what drives sports to kind of come back. And um, I think that one of his his nugget sentences was basically that money sort of dictates you know how things when when things come back and when they when they're supposed to come back and how we're supposed to have our lives together and when people's lives are collateral damage in this whole thing and when we can ex, we'll have an acceptable amount of you know people getting sick and, and dying from this versus the economy getting started again you know wh- you know what's a greater uh, what's what's greater for the common good you know for the economy to get back going and we have some people die or for the economy to stay stale and fewer people die or you know I know I know a lot of this seems like we're trying to prevent people from dying and getting this disease which I think is going to happen one way or another but I think what we're trying to prevent right now is the overload on hospitals and if we can sort of keep that in mind about why we're sequestering ourselves, it, it's to keep the people who are on the front lines healthy and and, and in, in shape to keep taking care of these patients. And when they get overwhelmed, it doesn't do anybody good. And then on top of it, if you, you get a car accident or, you know, God forbid something bad happens to you and you're rushed to the hospital and there's nobody there available to help you because they're helping all these other patients, you know, that, that overload is going to affect all of us in some way. And it's, it's, um, it's. Uh, it's 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 just this weird gray area this weird fine line about what drives things and what's acceptable and and you know again i I think it goes back to our discussion about horse racing what's an acceptable amount of deaths in in a horse race you know versus the money that it generates and it's it's sadly it it seems like it's all sort of connected in that way
1: tom let let me just say this and uh i'm slightly political as you know uh when uh, a couple weeks ago when uh uh, Trump indicated that, uh, based on the model, 100,000 to 240,000 will die in this country. Um, I said uh, on Facebook, and I said on a couple of shows that I do, that if only 99,999, die, he'll call it a win. I think that's a major problem. I really do. It
0: is. Absolutely it is.
1: And, and right today, uh, and folks were taping this about 6 o'clock on uh thursday night earlier today he indicated hey we're we lost this and every loss is valuable and we're sorry about this but we're doing much better than the model well he made up the model i don't know you know half every time he opens his lips he lies so the bottom line is 99,999 is good and also something else you know i'm older than you tom and uh little kid and uh, you know, the polio thing and...
0: Uh, oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Sock and Sabin. How many years did it take them to develop that? Now they're saying, well, 70 years ago, uh, the science has certainly moved forward. I don't know if they're going to come up with a vaccine for uh, corona in 8 to 18 months. I don't know if it's 18 years. I don't think anybody out there knows how long it might take to come up with, with a vaccine. Yet uh, people are jumping to get back to work uh, here in Los Angeles and anywhere else. Tom Hofarth, your thoughts?
0: It's a selfish... Existence that a lot of us live, and it's a selfish message that we're given from government higher ups, and that we're willing to accept a lot of collateral damage in this. And I hate using that word, but that's what it seems like they treat it as. And it, it you, you see these pictures of I don't know who, where this was, but it was I saw this horrible picture, photograph from inside of a store where the people on the outside were like demanding to come in. The store should open. And you know, and there's some people weren't Trump thing, and it just looked like the Dawn of the Living Dead kind of, you know <laughs> these, these people and people were putting memes out on it calling the the, the you know, the, the the dawn of the living brain dead because these people just are so feeling like they're entitled to have stores open for them to shop so they can make money or they can it I, I don't get it, but it, it's it's this mindset that this selfish mindset that I wish isn't so normalized by the person who is making all these decisions in, a, in these, these daily press conferences. I can't watch them because I it would just anger me so much. The only ones I can watch are Gavin Newsom and, and Governor Cuomo in New York. These are people who are reasonable, making reasonable decisions. When you ask them, when is sports coming back? Um, I mean, even even Dr. Fauci is a big, huge baseball fan in Washington. He wants to see the Nationals play, and he's you know quoted as saying, "I'd love to see baseball come back. Let's figure out a way we can do it." So it's not like people are against sports coming back. It's just like you can't just look at the fans and you can't just look at the players. It's this whole combination of how this works. And Clayton Kershaw was talking in the story too with the LA Times saying, "I I can't leave my family for four months and sequester myself in a bubble to play games in Arizona. That is just not how it works for me." And it's, 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 it's disappointing that we have to sort of deal with the people who just don't get it. And, and all we can do is just say, listen, and try to explain it to them. And hopefully it resonates and, and you don't get yelled back at, like, you know, you're, you're, you're socialist, you're this or that. And you just like, just come on people. just <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what it need. what do you, What do you need to sort of get the trigger pulled in your direction is do you need to have someone personally close to you have this disease and go through it and die or is, is that enough i mean i hope not one person has to go through that but it almost seems like that's the only way it's going to resonate with some people
1: he's tom holforth i'm fred wallen right here on uh, sports biz believe in, in a minute or so we're going to talk about uh, the books that you're reading as i watch Hi. the waltons um the the, the bottom line i, I actually uh, have read uh, The wax pack. We'll talk about that in a moment. Oh, good. uh, But but you talk about the, you know, fans being uh, taken advantage of. Uh, The Dodgers should be ashamed. StubHub should be ashamed. Major League Baseball should be ashamed, even now more than ever. Okay? People buy tickets to early season games. They're not getting their money back. That's unbelievable. When I first read that, I said, that's got to be another April Fool's joke. It's not. So Congress has gone after StubHub. They should be going after major league baseball. Although major league baseball has got some exemptions that maybe can defeat anything Congress does. But the bottom line is give me a break there. Okay. If you buy season tickets, maybe you got money. So it doesn't matter as much, but what if you just bought one or two games and those games have already uh, passed and there's no way on earth we're going to get anywhere near any games and right. I don't think we're going to play at all. And you're not getting your money back. Tom Hofer, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Fine writer. Uh, uh, for, for many years, the Daily News, off and on for the L.A. Times, Sports Business Journal, L.A. Business Journal. How would you stand up right now to StubHub or to Major League Baseball if you bought season tickets? What would you do?
0: Well, there's a good column in, in the L.A. Times today by Helene Elliott who basically said it's time to shut the NHL down because people who have bought tickets are not getting reimbursed and they need this money for essential things right now. It's that simple. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand how there's such a disconnect with the fact that these games aren't going to get replayed. I mean, but the NHL in particular is getting away, getting around it by saying the games have been postponed, so that keeps it, you know, alive as a possible game being replayed. You know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But you've got to have an, a, a mechanism in place that allows fans, for whatever reason, because because this game is not happening on the date that they bought the ticket for that's that's there's a there's a two-way street there there's got to be some lawyer who sees this as a as a way to get, you know, some sort of class action lawsuit against StubHub and any anybody else and any teams that are keeping money right now all those season tickets the Dodgers, you know, season seat holders have paid for and they haven't been played. They make it, you know, they may get you know, a plate in Arizona or something like that, and then they'll figure out how to reimburse people. But, but to not be in touch with these people right now and say, hey, listen, we understand you know, maybe we can give you some of it back right now or, or something, just, just some goodwill gesture. You just don't see that right now. You just see big business that feels, again, entitled to this money that they were given to them and that they can control now, and, and and you're on the wrong end of this thing. And, and how are you supposed to stay loyal to a team that treats people that way? I think in the end, it, if the fan experience is not satisfied, whether financially or with games on the field, it, it, it's going to come back to hurt them. So I, why would you do this to your to harm your fan base, which is what allows you to charge these prices and pay these players what they do and, and get all these uh, – advertising deals and, and TV deals done. It's Without the fans, there's no games. So you can play games without fans, but the fans have to be there to support it. And if you've alienated the fans, you, you've created a it's, it's huge disconnect my, from where I look at it, this whole thing.
1: Greed, entitlement, and uh, I hope the fans don't go back if uh, Dodgers, like, immediately don't start sending the dough back. Tom, in our last couple minutes, as indicated for the last month, 8 o'clock... Uh, I turn on the Waltons on the Hallmark channel, but <laughs> now it's, it's got, they've gone through the cycle. Now they're through 1978. And I think all that's left soon would be, uh, some of the uh, two hour shows that they did after that. Of course, Will gears already passed away. Ellen Corby, uh, has had a stroke. Um, I don't know how, I don't, what I'm going to do without the Waltons. You're reading books. You wrote an article about that. And, uh, the bottom line is I have read the wax pack and that's a guy that, uh, I had on the air on uh, sports overnight America and, uh, the, oh, good. The, the point is um uh he uh, as a kid uh collected and folks what he did uh 20 30 years later well 30 years later was uh, try to uh, go uh traipse down uh some of his favorite players from that wax pack he talked to steve yeager he talked to all kinds of players uh, of that era and it's in a very interesting book the wax pack and uh, of course steve uh, Still owns uh, that uh, fast food place in uh, Granada Hills. I can't think of the name again. One more time, but uh, it's a, one of the famous ones. Jersey oh, the, Mike's. Jersey, Jersey Mikes, Mike's, right? Yeah. Jersey Mike's. Yes. So uh, that book, and what other books have you read?
0: And so yeah, the author of that book is Brad, uh, and I'm, I'm going to butcher his last name. Balkijen. Balkijen. That's Do you remember it. Remember how you pronounced it? the, the, him
1: the last time. The last one is right. The last one was okay. correct.
0: And so uh, it's it's University of Nebraska Press. I did a nice review on this. I did a nice Q&A with him. And the premise is basically, he, you know, he took his 1986 pack of Topps cards, and then he spent 48 days during the summer of 2015 just driving around America to find these guys. So he hooks up with Jaeger and, and tricks down Rick Sutcliffe and Gary Pettis and Richie Hepner and... But the funny ones are the ones that are kind of off the beaten path, uh, you know, the Jamie Kackenauer, Randy Reddy, and, and, and Gary Templeton. And he gets these interesting stories. He gets a lot of stories about father and son relationships and, and things that happen to them in their lives that, they, you know, they wish they could do over and how baseball kind of, you know, in some ways kind of spit them out through the system. And, and the real touching, the last one is where he, he Al Cowens is in his pack. And Al Cowens, I don't know if you remember, played for the Angels. Sure and and Al passed away so he's buried in Ingwood Cemetery over there by the forum so so Brad just kind of went to his grave and you know placed it, took a picture but he also talked to his son and he and he connected with some of his family and just found out a lot about you know his the, the life he went through at the end and it's 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 one of these great simple stories but it's really it's it's, it's such a cathartic thing I'm sure for him to do this and to sort of You know these these guys you worshipped as heroes are now heroes in a a different definition. By the time you know they they become grown men and they and they've learned life lessons. And a a couple of the books that I wanted just kind of bring up real quick was one of them was called Stealing Home by Eric Nussbaum, and Stealing Home is really the story about Chavez Ravine and you know what happened before the Dodgers moved in there and what that was supposed to be, what it eventually became, um, and you know all the politics behind it. really, really interesting read, really compelling, hard to put down. It's it's one of these things you read in one sitting because it's so good. And we, and the, the, the funny part, too, is when you think of Chavez Ravine, it's not really an area of Los Angeles. It's just a name that, that's been given to this area. There's, it's it's not marked by any boundaries or anything. It's just this neighborhood that just took the brunt of, of, of it was going to have this utopian uh, housing development, and that was just replaced by the Dodgers coming in. And, and you know, for whatever, for better or worse, a different kind of utopia was built there. Uh, the, the book I posted today or yesterday, actually, was called The Court Martial of Jackie Robinson. Right. It was written by this retired Army lieutenant colonel who kind of knows about what court martial was, you know, the whole system about it. And he makes the interesting point that if Jackie Robinson was not court-martialed when he was in the Army in 1944, a lot could have changed in the fact that because he was court-martialed and he was found innocent, um, it kind of proved what he could do and stand up and defend himself against racial slurs. Which he was a—he was driving in a bus and asked to go sit in the back. This is eleven years before Rosa Parks, so Jackie Robinson is kind of the real Rosa Parks in this situation. But then, if he doesn't have the court martial, you know, he doesn't have this proof of what how he can handle adversity to this. And if he's found guilty the court martial, he might have been, you know, kick, you know, put in jail or kicked out of the army and. You know, and who knows what would have happened. And then, it, but if the court-martial never happened, he could have been sent to, to Europe to fight in World War II and never come back. So, in so many ways, this was such a pivotal moment in his life that really hasn't been covered very well. And, and to have this Army Lieutenant Colonel sort of walk us through the whole thing, and, the, and there's all these transcripts and things and great context to something that's, that's such an interesting moment in history. So, I'd like to read all kinds of fun things. There's a couple novels in here. There's a uh, history of women's baseball league, and, and coming up, the one I'm looking forward to doing the most is at the end of the series. It's a, it's a biography about Jim Bouton, and it's it's you know basically, to, to Jim passed away last summer, and it's just basically, you know, why was he a complicated man? Why was he so controversial? What was his point? What what was he make? What was his makeup? And this author uh, does a really good job of, of sort of covering every part of him. He's not just known as Ball Four. He, he, he did so many different and interesting things. He made this great comeback as a knuckleball pitcher uh, with the Atlanta Braves. And, and it's, just, it's just so fun to read these books. And then getting to talk to the authors and getting to sort of, you know, add my two cents about whether they're worth tracking down or not. It, it kind of keeps me, you know, occupied and feel like I'm not wasting my time in doing something productive.
1: Tom, you're always productive. As we yeah. go off, let me just add thing to the wax pack and Brad, author Brad, yeah. okay? I told him something that uh, very few people know. Now, folks, I don't know how to put this, but uh, for two years, Steve Yeager and I did a talk show for Prime Sports. We did it in the mid-'90s, and we did it uh, from here in Southern California, okay? And uh, he had just gotten married a couple years before that. I think that was the second wife, and uh-huh. uh, and she was Jewish, and he told me she was Jewish. and I said, oh, great. I mean, I, one or the other, I'm not religious, so... And then uh, during a break, he said, uh, "You know, I had to how I showed her how much I loved her." And I said, "No, how did you show her how much you loved her?" I had a circumcision at 42, (laughs) so I swear, folks. And listen, I've done these shows like forever. I couldn't stop laughing the rest of the show. Every time I looked at him, all I could do was laugh. And then uh, the general manager the next day called me. He said, "I loved the show." why were you so happy why were you laughing and i said i can't tell you and but now i've told thousands right here on believe that steve yeager who has turned jewish had a circumcision now tom and i don't know if he's going to add a little piece to the addendum to the book but uh, he found something out that uh, he didn't know and brad uh, was a very sharp guy and that's an excellent book the wax pack i would advise you to pick it up but uh, there's always something extra
0: yeah, and then and then Steve, I, he had some. Uh, I think he had lung cancer, or he he overcame some, some very hard physical things. I mean, I don't know if you remember when Steve had gotten a car accident when he was coaching or managing out in the minor leagues.
1: Yes, and, yes, yes.
0: Yeah, horrible. And Steve's went through so much. And I saw this great quote the other day from Jay Johnstone, who basically said, "Steve Yeager's the only guy I know that lived such a full and, and crazy life and somehow survived it." And you know. <laughs> Because it just against all odds, Jaeger's still here somehow you know with, with everything that he's been doing and and it's a really it's a really touching chapter on Jaeger about his you know his relationship with his son and his wife and how he kind of appreciates you know just kind of a calmness and, and Jaeger is always a fun guy to be with and, as you would know and then it's just kind of fun to see him reveal himself in this in this book so it was interesting how that he just turned out to be the first guy who you know got interviewed because of location because Brad was coming from Oakland down to out of the valley, so that's where he kind of started. And and Jaeger is a great person to kick the book off with.
1: Hey, no question about that. Hey, Tom, we've kicked it around here on uh, Believe in Sports Business. We'll do it again. And uh, thank you, Tom Hofarth, very, very much. You got it, Fred. Take care. Folks, you can email us sportsfred at AOL.com, sportsfred at AOL.com. If you want to discuss uh, anything in sports, including Steve Yeager's circumcision, you can do so right here at uh, sportsfred at AOL.com. Back with more next week across America and around the world. And Scott, thank you for putting the podcast together. And we will see you around the corner right here on Believe, Sports Business, Sports Media. Bye, everybody.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early,